We have been in a series called, Why is Life So Difficult? Which is a really important question um, because, you know, I'm going to college next year and people keep asking me when you're going to start high school, which is uh, a little bit embarrassing and a little bit hurtful, but, you know, it's not the most difficult situation. Today, we are going to hear from our campus youth pastor, Ricky Echiona. Woo, yeah, Ricky. And um, he's going to be talking to us about finding joy in the midst of the, the hardest times. But before we get to that, we thought it might be beneficial to you to hear a personal story from somebody who has gone through a lot of difficult uh, circumstances in their life. So check this video out. Hi, uh, my name is John Munger. I am from Bhutan. I was living in Chirang, Bhutan, one of the very small village. It was a very long story, but I, I would like to say in short, I'm, I just amazed how God, a person like me, a village boy, from where God picked me and put me now in America and connected me with all the people, I have no idea. I was a very broken, even though I was a young guy. Um, I didn't know about Jesus. Nobody told me. Uh, somebody uh, much younger than me, 14 years young boy, came to me and gave me uh, the booklet about the love of Jesus. When I was reading that book, I felt some touch, something that speaking unto me that this is the truth. I just opened up my heart. I repented there. I was very much uh, overjoyed, like I was free from all my bondages. So that's how I dedicated my life. But my family did not understand me, like, what is this? This is a foreign, foreign religion. Why you accepted Christ? They're telling me you cannot touch food, you cannot enter in our home, you cannot come and share with us. You should, you should go away from here. And the response was not good from family. I also did not know that, you know, when people become a Christian, the government will persecute them or torture them. Because I did not deny the Lord, so because of that, I was kicked out from country Bhutan. I registered my name in refugee camp Nepal, so I started preaching the gospel in the refugee camp. Every evening time, people gather, young people, old people, those politicians, those groups, they hear, they surround my heart. Hundreds of people, I share the gospel sing the songs and then pray for people and share the gospel. People surround my heart, 200, 300, 400 people. But life in refugee camp was not easy. Living under the plastic roof, where you can see everything transparent, there is no any privacy, no electricity, no any air conditioning, no any things there. United Nations provide a little rice, maybe five pounds of rice for maybe one, one month. It's very limited. It was a tough life. One day, one of our friends said that there is, in that place, there is no gospel. So let us go there and preach the gospel. So with our group, we went on foot for two hours. After preaching the gospel, we were sitting in one of the house. Three men came and started charging you Bhutanese guys. Why you are here? Why you are destroying our temples? Finally, we came to know that they are the cops because they also came with the undercover dress. 
and they arrested us. They threw us inside the dark room. And it was a summer time, it was very hot inside, full of dust. Most of the time they hit us on our mouth. And then why are you speaking Jesus? And then he, he punch you, kick you, every parts of your body. And you become full of blood, swell up your mouth, your eyes, your hand. Every now and then they were asking us, you deny the Lord or not? If you deny Jesus, then you will not go to prison. But if you don't deny Jesus, then you will be in the prisons. So we didn't deny, 11 of us, we did not deny Jesus. Life was very difficult. But 15 months, God helped us to spend there in the prison. But during this 15 months time, God did a miracle. I thank God for Voice of Martyrs. News were published in the magazines and in newspaper. Believers from all over the world praying for us. And also they wrote a very strong letter to the Nepalese government to release us. So 1996 November, we were released from the prison. United States government, they wanted to bring like 60,000 refugees legally and then I came to United States in 2009 thinking that my prayer was answered because I will go one day in all over the world with the citizen and passport of US. Well, good morning, Gateway South. How are you doing today? All right, how you doing today? Yeah, I know some of you all are wondering, uh, man, Eric, you got really tan, bro. You use that Rogaine, got a full head of hair. Well, my name is Ricky Etchione. I'm the youth pastor here at Gateway South, and it's great to be with you all this morning. Uh, in that video you just saw is John Monger. He's actually become a good friend of Gateway. In fact, years ago when refugees came to Austin and there was a dinner hosted by Gateway for refugees here, uh, he was somebody who said, I want to serve refugees and I want to help them. And so Gateway partnered with him uh, and was able to help him start uh, a foundation in a church to help refugees. And in fact, this is what you may not know, but through your generosity and through your giving, uh, we've been able to help support uh, John and his church that uh, now have a church of about 300 Nepalese and Bhutanese believers that are following Jesus. And he has helped over 100 churches uh, in America start up specifically for refugees because of your generosity. Can we give it up for that? So thank you. And I think what John will tell you is that through all the suffering that you witnessed and more that couldn't be speaking of, spoken of, uh, and through all the pain and troubles that he's endured, nothing is compared to the joy that he's experienced in following Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we've been in 1 Peter, a, a letter written by Peter to Christians in the early Roman Empire in that time when Christians were being persecuted under the hands of emperors like Nero, who would throw Christians in the Colosseum and being, then they would be fed to lions and he would light his gardens by setting Christians ablaze. And persecution was so widespread in the Roman Empire. And all the while, Peter is writing to believers in that time to keep the faith, to remain steadfast. Then even in the face of death and even in the face of life's most difficult circumstances, they can trust that God is with them and he will use even the most painful and difficult things for good. Listen to what 1 Peter uh, 1, verse 6 to 8 says. So be truly glad that there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. 
These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. But how? He says inexpressible joy that we can experience. But how in the midst of troubles and difficulties, in the midst of sickness and disease and divorce and circumstances that bring financial disaster and ruin to us, how can we experience joy? We're going to dive, dive deep into this topic and passage, but, but I'll admit it's a little bit of a mystery of how joy comes through life's difficulties. Uh, even my shirt, 28 years, I've, I've experienced it a number of times. Uh, before we moved to Austin, Emma and I uh, were pastoring in right outside of D.C. in Silver Spring, Maryland, where we're from. And we were walking through a pretty difficult season there at our church. And a year before that, we had felt God saying, get ready to move on. It's time. And so in the last kind of few months there, things got pretty tough and came to a head and there was division that was starting to form into a church, all unhealthy things. And, and, and we've said, okay, God, it's in your hands. We trust you. And, and I was getting ready to resign and I put my resignation in. Uh, and uh, I, was, I thought I was going to be partnering with a mentor of mine, a spiritual older brother, if you will, a friend who had taken a church uh, and became a pastor of a church about 20 minutes away. And 10 days before the day that I was going to resign, he calls me up and he says, Ricky, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but we met with our board and just financially, we're not going to be able to bring anybody else on staff right now. And it felt like the phone weighed 500 pounds. And I put it down and I was extremely disappointed. And to be honest, I was a little mad at God. Uh, but, but God, I thought it was, I thought this is what you wanted. I'm doing my best to follow you. God, what are you doing? Have you been there when it feels like your prayers don't go any higher than the ceiling? And I felt like life was a toddler in an amusement park, right? Like just as soon as I got a grasp on it, it would Houdini out and I couldn't get a hold of it. Side note, by the way, uh, bear with me. I'm, I'm a little random. I got self-diagnosed ADD. Side note, but before I became a parent, I used to judge people who would put those leashes on their kids. Sorry. Not leashes, safety harnesses, safe, safety harnesses. But listen, now that, I, that God blessed us with two little minions, um, like, uh, I'm, no judgment here. Do you, boo-boo. Like, I'm all about it. Like, lasso them up, Roy Roger that thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to do what you got to do as long as they stay alive. But yeah, I, I was a little mad at God. Why? Because God wasn't doing his will my way. And isn't that, the, isn't that the human problem? Isn't that sin nature? That, that's, what it, that's what we all inherit. And we talked about this last week, that, that we grow in a world and we, we live in a world that it's so easy to go uh, away from God. We drift. We naturally drift away from God. It's like floating in the Komal River. It's really not that hard. We naturally drift away from God. And it's why Jesus taught us to pray this way. He said, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, God doesn't force his will on earth. We must choose. Man, and frankly, that's what's wrong with the world is that we choose. That men and women choose, we choose 
oftentimes to do life our way and not God's way. And what ends up happening is brokenness throughout. And our habit is to go through thinking throughout the day, "Mm, how can I get my will done on earth and in heaven if you want it that way? Like, uh, we'll, we'll make that work, God. Let my will be done. And everybody else's will is subject to mine. Now, compared to uh, some pain and suffering in the world, mine may seem trivial, what I'm talking about today, but I was feeling it nevertheless, and I'm guilty of this often when I'm going through something, I try to minimize it and compare it to others, right? Like I compared my life to my parents uh, who came here uh, as immigrants and, you know, and from Panama, both established careers in their 40s with two kids. I was a third that was born here. Uh, and, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't, doesn't seem that bad compared to mine, or the, mine doesn't seem that bad compared to theirs, right? Like I, we sometimes can trivialize and minimalize, minimalize things like that. So I'm, I'm here weighing like, hmm, fleeing a dictatorship in Panama in the 80s, being a political prisoner like my dad was, leaving your homeland, right? Versus me over here, God, I just need a job, right? <laughs> like it seems so trivial and, 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 and unimportant and insignificant. But this is important. Hear me. Your story isn't someone else's story. So don't try and minimize or compare your struggle for good or for worse because you end up minimizing what God wants to maximize in your story. He wants to use what you're going through, not what somebody else is in your life. So I was without a job uh, for a few months and I didn't understand why God would call me into the ministry just to torture me. And I had grown accustomed to throwing these little pity parties, uh, minus the party had in the horn. And every morning when I would wake up and, and I'd have my alone time with God, it was, it, it was more of a, God, don't you see that I have a wife and kids to take care of? What are you doing? Look at all that I've done for you. Look at all that I've given up for you. I need a job. I need to be in a church, preferably in these zip codes, by the way, God. <laughs> And it was there in the silence and in the frustration uh, that God spoke to me. Not, not condescendingly, but like a loving father, straight to the core. And I heard him speak into my soul. That's what I like to call the inaudible, audible voice of God, right? I didn't hear anything, but I felt it. And I felt God say, who are you without the title? Who are you if no one calls you pastor again? which is great here at Gateway, by the way, because nobody calls me pastor anyway. (laughs) But I felt God say, will you still be a son even if it doesn't go your way? See, I had gotten to a place that many of us get to where my happiness was so wrapped up in a position instead of what God offers, which is joy that stems from a posture towards him. Even in the midst of pain, and we've been talking for the last few weeks about how that's what's wrong with the world, that God gives us these, these little kingdoms, our families, our workplaces, our relationships, our places of influences, and he allows us to rule them as long as his will is done in our lives. And it's not our will that overcomes his, it's his will done because it's beautiful and it brings more joy and love and peace. But it's when we think that our will outweighs and supersedes his will is when we fall into this thought process and trouble that pain and suffering is worthless to us and it's to be avoided at all costs. But it's when my will is first submitted to his will 
man, that the beauty starts to happen in our lives. And it's as we stay connected, listening for his will, uh, willing to respond, and it starts to grow within us, this love and this life that our soul craves. And so I started to do what Mark Batterson says all the time. It's a good quote. He says, uh, pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. And so I prayed and prayed and still put out resumes and sought jobs. And listen, it wasn't easy. And every day wasn't a Mary Poppins song. But what I found in that season was that the joy of God is greater than even the most difficult of life's circumstances. It's a resolve of knowing my God will work all things out for good, even when it all seems bad. Came to a place where I had to say, okay, God, you're God and I'm not. I don't care if I'm ever a pastor again. I don't care if I'm a greeter at Walmart. I don't care if I'm an underwater basket weaver. Your will be done in my life. And then the thing I focused on was trying to stay connected in ongoing conversation, experiencing his love and being willing to listen and respond each moment of the day. And what I discovered was God cares more uh, about what he wants to do in us than what he wants to do through us. What I understood was in God's vocabulary, the verb be is so much more significant than just do. Because what we do is simply an overflow of who we are and what he's doing inside of us. That true joy comes from the work that God is doing within us, not from without. It's not circumstantial. But here's the catch. We've said it already. The path to joy is hard. Turn somebody next to you and say, it's hard. Turn to that person that you rejected the first time and say, it's hard. (laughs) It's rejection therapy in here. Listen, the path to joy is hard and you have to push through and stay faithful to God through the difficulties. And then, and then it comes like a gift out of nowhere. And, and I've said it before and you've heard people say it before, probably here from this stage. Oftentimes when we've pushed through and persevered through life's difficult circumstances, you've heard followers of Jesus say, man, I will never wish that upon my worst enemy, but I'm glad I went through it because of the joy that I get to experience and the faithfulness of God on the backside. It's inexpressible joy. Why is it that way? Why is it that the path to joy is hard? Jesus put it this way in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Some translations say abundant life or full, overflowing life. It's what Jesus promised again on the last night that he was here on earth saying this, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I want that. We want that. Who does not want uh, life abundant, overflowing, right? But to be honest, many Christians will say, man, I want that. I want a life that overflows with joy and happiness and grace and forgiveness and all the fruits of the spirit that are described in scripture, gentleness, self-control. I want that. But if you were to look at our lives, the truth is that oftentimes we choose the paths of success and comfort and we avoid pain and discomfort and persecution and hurt like the plague. Like I, I, mm, I want this life, but I don't want the pain that comes with it. And we fear being shunned or looked down upon, being ostracized. But Jesus said, remain in my love. 
In fact, he says it over a dozen times in these last two chapters, his last night here with his disciples in John's chapter 15, 15 through 17. He says, remain in my love, remain, remain, remain. Why? Because he knew that our default is to escape, escape, escape. So we do anything to avoid pain, to mask it, to numb it, to pretend that it isn't there. And if our life was this little plant here, and Jesus says, remain, remain in in the pot. Let's say this pot was Jesus. Remain in me. That's where you'll grow stronger. That's where you'll find the nutrients that you need the life-sustaining love that I offer. But oftentimes at the first sign of pain, what do we do? Ooh, things are getting a little hard. This relationship is, is getting a little difficult. They're starting to see things in me. I'm starting to see things in them. Ooh, I'm gonna jump ship. And instead of remaining, we go to the next best thing, thinking that that circumstance, that situation, that person, that job will fulfill us, right? Man, th- th- these people at work, they just don't get me. Like, I'm, I don't have freedom here. They don't know me. They don't know who I am and what I'm capable of. My talents aren't being utilized here. I, I need something that brings me life and fulfillment and passion and something that pays a little bit better. <laughs> right? So we go to something that looks a little bigger, a little more glitzier, a little more glamour. This is, this is what's going to bring me joy. This is going to bring me happiness. Or maybe it looks like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this church. Those lights are a little off. Like, did you hear how loud that music was? And I don't like what he's saying on stage. It's kind of rubbing me the wrong way. I think I'll go to the church across the street. They're a little bit better. And at every first sign of discomfort or pain, we run, we hide, we try to numb, we mask it, and we go from thing to thing, thinking that something else will bring us fulfillment. When Jesus says, if you would just remain in me, It's not from the outside. It's what I want to do in you in the face of adversity and life's painful circumstances. So often we avoid the first instances of pain and discomfort and we miss the opportunity to grow. See, that plant only grows in good soil when it remains in it. Can I ask you something? Don't you love when the preacher says, uh, can I ask you something, by the way? Like, what are you going to do? Say no, walk out? No, that'd be awkward. (laughs) So you just got to stick with it. Can I ask you something though? What if, what if the issue isn't that life keeps pulling you in so many directions and keeps pulling you into pain? What if the issue is that maybe you haven't pushed through more? See, avoiding difficulties, running, taking the easy path, numbing the pain, it means avoiding joy in the long run. Jesus said it this way in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They would do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. See, we want joy inexpressible, but we run from all the pain or persecution into the arms of comfort and convenience, because I like to live there. But the path to abundant life to a life overflowing with joy is through pain and suffering, not around it. It's not circumventing it. It's going straight through. Why would I say that? Well, because pain is a few things. Pain is unavoidable. Jesus said at the same night that that he was talking about joy overflowing, he says, here on earth, you will have trouble. You will have trials and sorrows, but take heart for I have overcome the world in John 16. 
Notice that he says, you will have trouble, trials, sorrow. He doesn't say you might have it. He's not like, mm, if you fall in a certain socioeconomic bracket, mm, you might escape it. He doesn't say that. If you pay $19.95 for this bottle of oil, like, no, he doesn't say any of that. He says, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Oftentimes when we read that verse, we read it more kind of globally and not as he's talking to us as individuals, right? In this world, we, we read it more like this. In this world, y'all will have trouble. <laughs> not me. I don't know who he's talking about, but it wasn't me. Me and Jesus are like this, son. I've been saved since I was five. Like, like when we read it more globally and, and instead of individually, right? Oh, yeah, y'all will have trouble. Not me. Like, Jesus, you know me. I'm your favorite. You, we got this, right? And, 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 we, and, and when pain and suffering is introduced into our lives, we're like, well, obviously God is guilty of malpractice. How could you do this, right? When, when the truth is, is this, that it's not, we think it's not supposed to happen to me. And, and when pain is introduced in our life, all these theological and philosophical ponderings kind of go out the window and we just react. And the reason we react and feel it's a malpractice is we really aren't ready to see it as an opportunity, but pain is a few things. It's unavoidable and pain is an opportunity. The path to joy and abundant life in a fallen world has never come pain-free nor not difficult. Uh, my mother was adopted by Jamaican Panamanians in Panama. And so there was a plethora of wise Caribbean sayings in our household growing up. And one of them that she would always say that my grandfather would say is this, uh, if it's worthwhile, it isn't easy. And if it's easy, it isn't worthwhile. Constantly repeat that. It was annoying growing up. <laughs> but see, abundant life doesn't mean that life gets any easier or less painful but it means a better, more joy-filled, loving, peace-infused life, despite the troubles and the pains. See, that must be what James, Jesus' the, uh, Jesus's half-brother, said when he wrote this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. Pure joy, trial, suffering. How do the two compute? This sounds like a contradiction, but he's not saying that the pain and the trials and the suffering is joy. But he's saying when we persevere, we get to mature, not lacking anything. And that's where joy is found, in maturity, in that lacking nothingness, if you will. And that's important. We want that. We all want that. That sounds like a bold, abundant life, full, complete, not lacking anything. We want that. But what if there's no way to have it unless you go through developing perseverance and through the pain. There's no other way to gain perseverance than to go through a season that you don't like, but manage it well so that it drives you toward God and not away from him. Uh, one thing I like to do, I like working out. Uh, it wasn't always this way, I promise you. Um, in fact, it took months and years to actually like it. Uh, I adopted this phrase, embrace the suck when it comes to the gym. <laughs> Embrace the suck because the gym sucks and life sometimes sucks. Even with that, I don't always enjoy uh, working out legs specifically. Why? Because working out legs is hard. Anybody who's worked out uh, and worked out legs will tell you the next day your legs feel like jello. Like you're in here, like can't walk. It's like a new dance. You know what I'm saying? 
Like I work out legs and I feel like I need a life alert button. Like help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Like Forrest Gump before the braces fell off. Like mama, I just, you know what I mean? It's just like you're walking on eggshells all day, but you can't move your legs. But here's what's, something that's weird that might sound funny to you, but uh, one thing that's happened when I feel that soreness, there's this like twisted little thing that I'm like, man, that's good. Why? Because that fatigue is proof positive that I'm getting stronger. My prayer for you today is this, that you would realize that when life hits you, because it will, and when life tries to paralyze you and pin you down, you have the spirit of God to rely on to keep walking because joy is on the other side. And understand this, that everything that you've been through is just a setup for your breakthrough. And that's where deep, unrelenting joy comes from. It comes as a gift from God for those who persevere by faith. So don't run from it. Don't medicate. Don't bail out because it's painful. Don't leave or circumvent just because it's hard. Remain in God's love. It's doing his will because it's the only path to joy and love that we really want and need. Going back to 1 Peter, verses 3 to 8, I want to highlight this part in verse 7. He says, it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor. And at the end of it, he says, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Listen, we all want that. We all want that freedom, that life to be happy, to be celebrated, honored, recognized for the good that you do. But we often settle for a lesser joy, one that's fleeting. Like think of the best thing, uh, the best reward that you can on the planet. I don't, I don't know what it is um, uh, for you. I don't know. Maybe it's getting that promotion at work, amazing reward. Maybe it's seeing your kid winning the National Spelling Bee. Eight of them won it this year. I saw it, it's crazy. What is it for you? I don't know. What, what's a great, maybe some athletic achievement that you've been desiring. Maybe it's some medal or recognition. Maybe it's a boss just telling you, hey, you're doing a good job. Maybe it's your kid finally telling you, mom, this spaghetti is actually good. <laughs> what's the greatest reward you can think of? If you, you got it? Even that's fleeting. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It doesn't last. It's like shifting sand in our hands. But what Jesus offers and what Peter says here is we get a reward that's worth more than gold. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. He says it's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor. See, God promises that you are earning something worth more than all the money, glory, honor, and fame in the world, more than all the recognition. When you lean in and trust God, even when life is difficult, God sees and he's the rewarder and he's faithful and just to reward you. He promises you're earning glory, honor, and praise that will blow all of earth's rewards and it lasts, it's eternal, it's abundant life and a life that never ends. It's the greatest reward that you can think of. Better than all the Chick-fil-A points that I can wrap up on my app. <laughs> Trust me, my family eats a lot of Chick-fil-A. So pain is unavoidable. Pain is opportunity. But pain also forces a choice. Those in recovery will tell you uh, they understand the opportunity of pain. It's well known that people have to hit rock bottom in order to admit that they have a problem and they need God's help. But on the backside of recovery, many former addicts would let you know that they find joy and a peace that God gives 
and they're grateful for the pain that they experience because it forced a choice. And the choice is this, I can give up playing God and let God be God and invite his eternal joy in my life, surrendering my will to his, or I can continue in this vicious cycle. It's kind of a paraphrase of step three in recovery. Tim Keller puts it this way. He describes the choice that pain forces like this. Suffering can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. Every single one of us, when we first feel a pain, whether it be emotional pain, relational pain, disappointment, loneliness, injustice, criticism, our first thought is, I want relief, I want out, make it stop, God. And what's worse is that evil is not unaware of what pain can produce, the good that it can produce that it can drive us like a nail deep into God's love and trust. So there there are all kinds of ways to make the pain go away and numb it and avoid it, like anesthesia or escape the pain. You can try drinking and and drugging and sex and TV and unhealthy relationships and social media and even church to try to avoid the pain. We can use all kinds of things to avoid facing down and stewarding our pain or our disappointments. You can consistently numb yourself and run from your pain, or you can grow from it. This past December, I I felt uh, like God was giving me a word for the year, and I knew it was God because I hate words of the year. (laughs) Like, I'm so anti, like, Christianese, cliche things. I'm I'm just being honest, transparent, all right? Don't judge me. Um, And so I knew it was God, and, and I felt like he was giving me the word more, just that word more, four letters, more. And I shared it with my staff and then shared it with my wife and um, for our family. I felt like that was the word for us, right? And I was like, yes, come on, God, more. Can I get a hot tub, all right? You know what I mean? Like, it was exciting, like, more. And then the year started and it was more bills. It was more drama, more injuries, more kids' hospital visits, more nonsense happening to the people that we love and are connected to. Don't get me wrong, there have been plenty of blessings, most of which is, we got more, we're adding a third baby to the family. Yeah. It's exciting. But what I learned beyond the material and the circumstantial, and what I'm learning is more reliance on God. It's a trust of more of who God is, more than just what he can do for me. See, when you find yourself at pain's doorstep, there's always a choice. So the important thing to ask is, what do I do with this pain? What do I want this pain to turn into? The first answer is usually, uh, no pain. Can you make that pain? No pain, right? That's usually our first answer. But it's not an option. And and if it is, it really sometimes just makes the pain come back even worse and harder. But God's promise is that the pain can turn into something good. Romans 8.28 puts it this way. Many of you may know this verse. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. And we love the second half of that, right? God works together for good for those who love him. Yes, make it good, God. I love it. Make it good. I love you. Make it all good. We don't realize the first part. It says he works all things, which means if he works all things for good, that means in there is mixed in some bad, some hurt, even some ugly. But he promises that the end result is good. I want you to check out this video from John Munger. I landed in Austin Airport 
and uh, some case worker from refugee service of Texas, they came and received us and then they placed us in the apartment. That time we didn't have vehicles, we didn't have phone, we didn't have any internet, we didn't have food in the room also. I was kneeling down and I crying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Why you brought me in America? And God spoke to me, start the church from the apartment. Start the church. How? And then when I opened the Bible, right there, chapter 18 of Acts 9 and 10, there it says, do not be afraid, keep on speaking. In this city, I have many people. So that scripture is struck on my heart. And then, okay, Lord, from today, the church started from here. So this is how the IRC, our International Restoration Church, uh, started straight away from the Hindus and Buddhists. But how I share the gospel to them is like building a relationship with them, helping them, because refugees are very vulnerable. They are, hard. They are very broken. They are lonely. They are missing their home. So you see, Jesus loves you. You are welcome in our church also by building the friendship, by sharing, by giving, being there in their difficulties, in their emergency need. That's how the IRC is formed in Austin, Texas. From refugee life, from the dust that he has chosen us and then brought us here. And somehow today I'm pastor in Austin, Texas. I didn't know that I will go to prison or I will uh, government will kick me out or all these things. I, I never had any idea about that. But when I faced one by one, again, there was no any regret. There was always joy. There was always joy. There was peace inside of me. And so far today I'm standing. He is my teacher and he empowered me, anointed me. This is amazing God and he is a true God. This is what I can say. That's it. Isn't that beautiful? Winston Churchill, who uh, led Britain through World War II, uh, in the midst of a blitzkrieg of over nine months of Britain being bombed over and over and over again, he coined this phrase, if you're going through hell, keep going. Somebody reminded me that's a country song too. I think Churchill said it first. <laughs> but don't despair. Don't give up. Persevere through the pain. Don't circumvent it. Don't go around it. Go through it. It's where you'll find God in the midst and joy right there. It's not a dark cave that you're stuck in and can never get out. It's just a dark tunnel that you're going through for a season. There's light at the end of it. You're just going through. Sometimes you got to go through the pain. Sometimes you got to go through the circumstances and difficulties, but you're not there to stay. You're just passing through. It's kind of like Arkansas. <laughs> you're welcome. If you're from Arkansas, I'm sorry that you're from Arkansas, not the joke. <laughs> but listen, what I love is that we serve a God that can sympathize with our pain. He doesn't, doesn't talk from above down to us and say, hey, you know, keep going, chug along. No, Jesus walked the walk and he talked the talk and he persevered through the pain, through abuse, through shame, through all the difficult circumstances. This is what Hebrews 12, 2 Verse two says, he put it this way, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning his shame and sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. Think about that. God, Jesus, 
The son of God, Jesus, who went through shame and abuse and torture and beatings and name callings, all of that death, hell, and the grave, and came back all for the joy set before him. What was that joy? It was you. It was me. It was us. That God bankrupted heaven so that he might have a chance at a relationship with each and every one of us. That he couldn't think of eternity without you, so he gave it all and went through it. We went through the suffering for you and I. I want to invite our band up here to lead us in a final song. And I don't know where you're at in your life, but I want to tell you, you can have that joy, that joy inexpressible through a relationship with God. And all it takes is God is saying, God, my will hasn't gotten me anywhere. I want your will done in my life. Your will done in my life. And I'm submitting my leadership to your leadership. It's yours. You can pray that today for forgiveness and ask for his leadership and for what Jesus did on the cross to count for you. But maybe you've made that decision already. Maybe you've made it recently. And maybe your next step is baptism. We're going to be baptizing at Lady Bird Lake on June 30th at the end of this month. You can register on our website to do that. Maybe it's time to take your faith public and do that. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. And you're in a really difficult season in your life. I don't know where you're at. But there's one thing I know for sure. That we're all either leaving a difficult season. We're all either in the middle of a difficult season. Or we're about ready to start and enter into a difficult season. But what's beautiful is that we serve a God that sees us. And he's still in control. Maybe you need to make this next song your prayer today. As our band plays which includes some of our wonderful students, by the way. Maybe you need to make this song your prayer, that you can praise in the middle of pain. Or maybe you need to sing it and believe it on behalf of a loved one or a friend that's going through a difficult time. Either way, would you just connect your heart with God's heart today? And then just see, God, what is it that you want to do in me in the midst of this?